Hi guys, so welcome to the conversation with Samuel or Luke Bemini. Welcome back to the conversation with Samuel Lulubimini on New Cruise 92.7 FM. Now, Nigerians must have read the exclusive reports on the cable of how some unscrupulous fellows pay 25,000 naira to obtain fake COVID-19 test results so they can travel. Well, I didn't have that experience. Let me quickly advise you that... You don't try that because if you get caught, you're going to spend some time in jail or perhaps have to pay some fine. But here's my own experience. Two weeks ago, it was simple. I I had been in contact with someone from Lagos who had been in contact with someone who had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, I was battling loss of taste, dry cough. I was a little bit tired and I had this irritable sore throat but no fever. Take note, no fever. Way before then, I'd paid a visit to the Obadidri Bay Infectious Disease Center and I have to admit that that place, from what it used to be about two, three years ago, has indeed witnessed an uplift. Thanks to the bulk of donations from Car COVID and the federal government and some works by the state government. Now, that day, I had walked past a woman who had tested positive for COVID-19 before I was told that she had it. That day, that same day when I saw this woman with COVID-19, I saw a bunch of people who carelessly surrounded her without any uh, protective equipment, any PPE. But she had a mask on at the time I sighted her. Now, fast forward to my test story at this teaching hospital. After hearing about my signs and symptoms, the doctors refused to subject me to a COVID-19 test, even when I had expressed fears that maybe I needed to be tested at the time. Now, after saying that I had been in contact with someone from Lagos who had contact with another person that had COVID-19, I thought maybe I was going to be tested, but they asked me uh, to leave and perhaps uh, take some time to observe if the condition remains the same or perhaps if it gets worse, that I can then come back and then have my test now two things two weeks thereafter i have not been contacted to ask if my condition has improved or if uh, it has gotten any worse if i even had COVID 19 i don't have a car of my own so it means that i would have uh, been moving in a public vehicle and it means that uh perhaps might have been in contact with other people who wouldn't know now, if you think there's no COVID-19 in Ikiti, then permit me to tell you that since December 1 till date, the state has recorded 26 cases, confirmed cases. Now, think about other people with stories like mine who are suffering silently at home but have probably died. The question is, the second wave is almost here, if not here. Is Ikiti prepared? My guest is the Honorable Commissioner for Health and Human Services, Dr. Banji Filani. Welcome to the conversation with Samuel Lubimini. Good morning, everyone. Thank yes. you so much. Uh, good to uh, have you around. First, I think I should uh, ask you what exactly is your uh, mandate. Now, I know that um, you came in 
around August when we already had the major lockdown. And I also know that previously you were technical director of the Basic Health uh, Primary Fund, uh, which requires the federal government to give uh, provide funding for universal health across the country. And a lot of people think that maybe that is why you were brought down as the source for funding for the health ministry. So what exactly was your mandate uh, when you were appointed? Thank you, Samuel. Before I respond to your question, I think it's important that I address the point you just made. And uh, perhaps after this call, I'll be very happy if you could give me the name or if you could describe the people you saw. First and foremost, I must also say to everyone on the, who is listening on here right now that if you meet the case definition, which based on what Samuel has described, he met the case definition. And what's the case definition? Either you have been in contact with someone who has tested positive for COVID or you have certain symptoms, fever, loss of taste, like you said, um, headaches, right? Then you really should be tested for COVID. And that test, I think it's important that I emphasize on this, that test here in Ikiti is free, right? But I have to get to the Ministry of Health because the person told me that if I insist on having that test, I would have to come to the Ministry. No, you actually don't have to come to the Ministry. So I need to, we need to find it, get to the root of that to understand why that is. If you, if you meet that case definition, you should ideally be tested. That's the standard. And the beauty of it is we've not, we're not only testing in Ado now. We've no decentralized sure. sample collection and testing even to the 16 local government areas. So in the 16 local government areas. So, so that's would, the, would you want me to answer your yes, initial sir, question? You. Okay, so just, just a bit of background as to where I am. I'm here from Kolekiti, right? Um, so I'm a bona fide citizen of Ikiti State. I've uh, worked in various aspects of the health sector. I did clinicals in the past, so I used to see patients on a daily basis. Um, I've worked in the health insurance space. I've worked outside of Nigeria. I've helped to put together programs at the federal level, one of which is the Saving One Million Lives. The second of which is what you refer to, which is the Basic Healthcare Provision Fund, amongst a number of other things. Essentially, my strengths lie in health systems reform, health financing, and program implementation. I've also done some work around social protection. So, the governor's, the governor, when we had a conversation, uh, felt that I had the requisite experience to be able to provide leadership in the sector, but also drive the sector's agenda going forward. Thank you. Now let's move on to the case of management of COVID-19 in Ikiti um, State. Now it appears that government appears less um, concerned since we had the major lockdown a couple of months ago. Uh, and people want to know, why is it that a lot of these isolation centers are no longer uh, in operation, why is it that up until recently we've not had massive testing? It looks like massive testing was barely the statement in papers only and not in actual reality. Why? Thank you. So perhaps the, the reason why you may assume that government is not, uh, government's interest appears to be winning in with respect to the fight for COVID is because there's, been, there's not been another shutdown. Right. 
uh, more often than not, people tend to attribute work to extreme measures. And at a time when government shut down the state, it was on the basis that it was necessary at the time. In this point in time, shutdown is not what may necessarily be the right approach to move things forward. So I thought that was the first thing to say. The second thing to say is, yes, indeed, this is the, the second wave is actually here. Not just in Nikiti, not just in Nigeria, across the world, right? We're seeing a resurgence in the number of cases on, in COVID. Here in Nigeria, and particularly here in Nikiti, we're lucky that we're not having those extreme cases, right? And what we need to do and what we have been doing is to ensure that we continue to communicate appropriately that there is COVID and COVID is real. The difference, right, between what happened in March or in the early phases of COVID and now is that we have a clearer sense, right, of the, not just the etiology, but the impact of this ailment, particularly in Nigeria. Uh, it was predicted by as many people as possible that Nigerians were probably going to, were going to, our hospitals were going to be overfilled and people were probably going to be dying in their numbers. But we're grateful that that hasn't happened, likely because government has been proactive, but also because a number of other issues that have, I mean, things that have come into play. And so what we're doing, right, at this point is to ensure that we continue to communicate. The communication has changed. It's no longer COVID can kill you, right? It's the reality that if 100 people have, yes, indeed, 80 may not have significant symptoms, but you never know who is going to fall ill and who amongst those who fall ill will die, right? And so it's important that we continue to not just protect ourselves, but not be selfish so that we can protect one another. We shared, and I would, I'll read this at some point, or at least yeah. some of the highlights of it, but we put together a... So we're essentially, there's a communication strategy, right? Continuing to encourage people to stay protected. Well, well, we've seen communication on COVID-19 drop significantly. Up until yesterday, in the last two months, we've not had any real statement from government about adhering to COVID-19 up until yesterday when a statement was released by the Commissioner for Information. I won't exactly say that is correct. I've been to radio stations at least two or three times in the last two months and I've talked about COVID. Um, and I'm not the only one who has done that. I know the, his ex, the wife of the governor, the uh, excellency, has been on radio station. I know the governor himself has been on radio station around this period. Uh, our information team, you know, not just Minister of Information, but also the strategic uh, communication has also been doing a, different, a number of things. But again, the other point to note is that, you know, radio is just one medium, right, to reach people. We have IEC materials that are constantly distributed. We have television, right, and we have other means of getting across to people. There's also the WhatsApp platform. Um, we're going through areas where we know people are crowded. So schools, for instance, and it's important that we continue to engage with them. NYC comes, for instance, and doing a bit more. I admit, right, that you can always do more. I think that's the more important point to make, that you can always do more. But the assumption that government is not doing enough, I'm not sure that is exactly correct. We can always do more, and we will continue to do more. We're guided by the numbers that we're seeing. Uh, we will increase risk communication approach. But also importantly, and I think I should mention this, is compliance, right? Uh, particularly around areas, you know, the halls, for instance, the banks, the malls, the where people essentially Even transport stations because transport now stations, we exactly. see that uh, it looks like for public transport systems they now crowd people into buses absolutely so we've written out to a number of people across the across the capital and I'm, I'm mentioning the capital because more than 52 percent of our cases 
you know, iniquity is, is the center there. And so we'll continue to do that. As I am on radio now as well, I'm making that pitch right and letting people know that, look, we are back to taking it a notch higher in terms of how we engage. And we want to hold people accountable, first by holding these institutions accountable to maintain social distancing and ensure that people wear their face masks, not chin masks, you know, their yeah. face masks, wear your face mask, put out your vernacular buckets where necessary so that people can wash their hands and, you know, have your hand sanitizers. Because I think it is important that where people are crowded, we are able to at least um, provide those safety measures. But, but let's also take a look at uh, the contact tracing system. Now, it appears that that chain is slightly broken, especially when you look at my own experience. Nobody made an effort to reach out to me. And I've also had instances of other people who have not, had, uh, who have not been contacted, even despite having contacted people that have COVID-19. What is happening to the contact tracing system? So, on your case, and that's why I said it's important that we take a proper look at it, right? If you are tested if they had tested you and you were positive and then they didn't trace your contacts, then that was that would have been then your points would have been actually valid. Do you understand? Yes. Um so the point I'm making is when you get tested and the result comes out positive, the contact tracing definitely has to happen. Do you understand? Because you didn't get tested, but as it been happening, because I've had interactions with a couple of persons and they claim that they were not contacted. Persons who were had contact with people who tested positive. So it goes back to the point I made earlier on, right? Um, no, and I, and I'm talking of I'm talking of cases that we've seen since the lockdown deadline. So thanks, Samuel. It goes back to the point I made earlier on. If there are challenges where government ideally or where people who were involved should ideally have done this contact tracing and they were not done, I think we would certainly go back and look into it. Um, I've not heard that mo- I've not heard it actually um, and I say that not saying it because I sit in my office I say it because I feel the pulse right across the states not just in Addo but also across the different um, LGAs um, speaking not to my immediate um, people but also people who work on the field uh, but it's good that you're mentioning this I think it's always the areas that we should always continue to be mindful of and would ensure that our people continue to do what they should ideally do now let's let's let the, the question we should um, I, should I would like to ask now is in practical terms is it to prepared for a second wave a lot of persons think that oh because people are likely just going to get sick and the fatality uh, the rate of fatality is really low that government doesn't seem to government and perhaps other persons that should be paying attention to these things think oh we can always undo this I know that there are a couple of events that are going on and some of these events have defied COVID-19 protocols so the question is is the state really prepared or we are handling this with kid gloves practical uh, practically ready the simple answer is yes the state is ready it is really three things it's risk communication you know continuing to highlight the importance of keeping safe it is compliance ensuring that people maintain you know these protective measures and then it is increased testing uh, to do all three like I've mentioned on the second one particularly I've talked about compliance and we reached out to the, all the halls the malls at least in Addo states I mean Addo here in the capital as many of them as possible to ensure that they continue to maintain and enforce that compliance we're on radio now because I know that if we decide to go out and say um, 
close a place that is not compliant, people would say they've not heard. So I'm using also this medium to inform everyone that we're back to that space where it is important that you continue to you maintain that space. The that second point on this, sir, to, to, yeah. to let me finish on that, is it's the testing, right, which you alluded to earlier on. And like I mentioned, earlier on when COVID came in, we used to test here only in Ado. We collect testing from Ado only. Now we've decentralized to all the 16 LGAs uh, in all the general hospitals, essentially, right? Okay. So we can collect yeah. samples. And for those who meet the case definition, beyond that, we're engaging with schools to ensure that we can ramp up testing within schools. Because, of course, as you know, schools are also expanded. I mean, areas where people clock together. And finally, is to ensure that we expand our community testing. Because the more you pick it up, the more likely you know to the point you made. You can do your contact tracing. People know what the issues are. It does not necessarily mean, thankfully, most people may not be symptomatic. But you want to isolate them almost as quickly as possible so that you don't spread that more. Like I mentioned earlier on, out of 100, you never know the 3 or the 5 or the 10, right, who require significant care or who may even, right, um, pass away. So we want to limit that exposure. I will continue to do that. In case you're just tuning in, I am speaking with the Commissioner of uh, Health and Human Services in Igede State, Dr. Banji Filani. We are talking about Igede State's preparedness for a second wave of COVID-19, which he has admitted is already uh, an us. But quickly, let's let's take a look at, before we go to the issue of funding, I'd like us to take a look at, there were recent reports about uh, 24, 48 hours ago that there's a reported, a suspected uh, outbreak of cholera in a part of English state. Uh, I'd like you to uh, confirm the uh, area and also what you've uh, been able to gather so far. Thanks, Samuel. So, yes, we've had some cases of diarrhea in the state that have uh, that are currently been managed at the teaching hospital here in Ado. We've taken samples to ensure that we can adequately diagnose and correctly diagnose what these cases are. The interesting thing is that most of these cases have come from around the same area. So Atikonkong, for instance, uh, Shasha, and one or two other places. What we've done so far is a couple of things. Like I mentioned, we've collected the samples, right, so that we can test. The second is that we've mobilized and we've sent people into the communities, right, to ensure that we can adequately, you know, uh, do the necessary health promotions and preventive activities, but also the behavioral change. So our state health educator, or our do state, I mean, I do health educator, the DSNO, and of course our rapid response team has been in these areas and will continue to be in this area. I think it is important to state, right, um, that for people who... What is most important is that we avoid contamination, I mean, contact with contaminated food or water, right? Um, and it is not out of place, given that there's been some, uh, it's typically, right, these things, you may find them in the rainy season. But what is important is that we continue to maintain proper hygiene, wash our hands, make sure that our foods are clean. Uh, proper sewage disposal is also important. And where and also the kind of water that we drink is important right so portable water uh, i've been to article Corp particularly uh, and i think that was over a year ago and i noticed that they tend to defecate virtually in open spaces all around that area beyond having to talk beyond having to communicate 
are, are you perhaps liaising with uh, the ministry in charge to see that we have sustainable uh, hygiene facilities in those areas? Thanks that you brought that up. So, I mean, it's always, as you, as you would know, right, these things are like, it's a spectrum, right? The first thing you start, you nip the current issue in the board, and then you explain to people why this is wrong or what they need to do to mitigate that. The closely related to that is the, what you call water and, water and sanitation hygiene, which together with the Ministry of Environment, we're working to ensure that we can reduce the incidence or prevalence of what you've just described, i.e. people defecating on the streets or in the open spaces. Uh, quickly, we would like you to give us a range of figures of people that have reported some of the symptoms. I said yesterday? Yes. Yes. Eleven. Eleven. Great. Now let's take a look at four days of the health sector. A lot of persons expect a miracle to happen within the health sector, seeing what uh, we are to grapple with with uh, COVID-19. But we are yet to see those changes. We know that these things will not happen overnight. But the question is, is there a significant improvement in the budget to the health sector in the United State? Is there any particular focus or it is status quo as it has always been over time? Okay, so first and foremost, let me start by um, giving you a bit of a history around the around AKT and health sector, right? Yes. I resumed on the 1st of September, and in my second week, I visited a number of facilities. Um, I've been to almost 50% of the general hospitals we have in the state, and about all the three state specialist hospitals. One of the things that, you know, struck me in most of them was where everybody kept saying, oh, this building started in KF1, i.e. His Excellency's first term, right? But fortunately, we could not complete it because the tenure ended. And that told me, you know, amongst many other things, that here's a governor who understands the place of health in human capital development, where we're called the fountain of knowledge for a reason, right? It's because our people are bright and our people are smart. Health helps you to be bright. The more, the healthier you are, the easier it is for you to walk. If you're able to walk, you become productive. If you're productive, you contribute to the economy. And so the point I'm making with that is that the governor, from a political point of view, the governor recognizes and appreciates health. Now, closely related to that then becomes the budget, which, what, which is what you've talked about. And for this year, our budget has moved from 3% of the capital budget to 8%. I think that's a significant jump. And it is something that we're grateful to the governor, right, for for being able to do. Would you want to perhaps give us a figure that it percent? I, I prefer to speak in percentages. I can always give figures, but I prefer to speak in percentages. I think what matters most is um, being able to show that we're moving significantly. Is that significant enough for you to do your job within the next one year? It's significant to demonstrate to demonstrate that things can change. That's the most important thing. Um, and when I say change, I mean change from the perspective that people are able to receive good quality care, either in primary care centers, but also in secondary care centers. We, government is a continuum. Um, we would not finish everything in one sitting, but we would certainly do, you know, whether with, given the mandate that we have, we would certainly do enough to show that we're moving in the right direction. Let's talk about uh, grants and beyond government funding. We, we had a lot of money coming from CAR COVID and 
other facilities too. Uh, how much of these funds are going into reshaping the health sector in the state? So our partners um, have been very helpful. COVID has done a lot in the health sector, and a number of you would have seen what we are, what is happening in Obadejuib, for instance, right? Uh, but it's not just even COVID. We have private citizens here in Ikita State who have mobilized significant amounts of resources, over a billion actually, uh, to ensure that we can support... Over a billion outside of COVID funds. That's correct, yes. To ensure that we can support not just health, right, in terms of like the facilities, but also a number of other things that, are, that have been happening in the sector and, you know, to, e- um, to, e- to ease uh, the stress of, of COVID. And besides that, um, we've engaged with a number of our partners. We have Global Fund, who has supported us with the upgrade of 24 facilities in the state. This brings to a number, a total of 44, because the government just recently upgraded 20 facilities across the state. So this will bring to 44, and that's about just a little under 20% of the entire, I mean, a little above 25, about 25% actually of the entire facilities, 177 facilities that we're focusing on in the state. That's primary care. I think the other point to note is, again, the, back to the point I made around the governor, right, is there will also be some significant investments in our secondary care facilities next year. So that, you know, to the point is made and to our goal as a sector is to ensure that people are able to get into these facilities and actually receive good quality care and leave the place better than they came. One thing that we've seen, right, and which is very clear based on data, is that people have a good knowledge of healthcare in the States. People are very keen to also utilize care. But we've always had challenges, you know, with the outcomes. Not necessarily because the government facilities are subpar, but also because we have you know, people may seek care from other places, right? And so uh, that affects the sort of um, outcomes that they, they receive. Uh, I was expecting you to talk about uh, perhaps uh, a lot of these public facilities being understaffed. For the past few months, even before you came, we've had doctors complain that they are understaffed. Uh, they have just perhaps one uh, doctor in one local government area, and they're also underpaid. Is that an issue uh, for you that you are handling or that's below the priority level? So I'll look at human resource for health under four specific areas. The first is what you've described, which is the numbers. How many do you have? The second is what they call distribution. How well have you been able to distribute them across your geographical area? The third is the competence of those who are involved. And then the fourth is the motivation. Right, and I'll give an example. Um, when I came in, I realized that we had almost 60% of our nurses at the primary care level concentrated in three local government areas. Right, of course, what you would envision, what naturally then obtains is in areas where you don't have them, people will say we don't have enough. So it's important that you redistribute so that at least you have some. Right, it's the same with doctors. We never you can say we don't have enough I mean people can say also but I think the more important thing is are you redistributing appropriately and so that's what we're doing but even more importantly over the last two months we've recruited over 16 doctors 
into the states uh, at the primary care level, but also at the secondary care level, right, to augment the existing ones that we have. The other point to make is that we need to upskill those who are in the field, a number of our nurses and our doctors, and continue to support them with training, um, and then also the motivation. Oftentimes, people assume that motivation is financial incentive, but sometimes motivation could just be making sure that the place where they work is just more conducive, right, so that they are better able to do their job. It could be recognition as well. And these are things that we've already started putting in place. Well, a lot of people might slightly disagree with you as regards financial motivation, saying that doctors tend to spend most, doctors, nurses tend to spend most parts of their day between 8 to 12 hours right there in the hospital they can't have any other side hustles and they need the funds that they make from these places to survive and not, not just survive seeing that uh, the cost of living is also high a lot of them begin to think otherwise so is government not thinking in that direction of seeing ways of motivating doctors and nurses and other care workers by improving their take home pay Earlier in the week, I was with a group of doctors um, having this conversation as well. I think that, again, to the point I made, if you speak to any of the associations, there's typically more than one issue that comes up, right? And the good thing about our doctors, and even our nurses, the healthcare workers, is everyone recognizes that we're all putting the shifts to ensure that we move the state forward. Um, yes, we can always increase... I mean, there's always the opportunity if the state is in a better financial position to improve the finances of everyone, not just even doctors, right, or just nurses, everyone, right? But we must recognize the limitations that we have, and within those limitations, how well can we continue to support those who are here, right? Um, and it is in, in that vein that it's not just even the Ministry of Health, there's the civil service, there's the head of service, actually, uh, and all the other players in government continue to lie and engage with our doctors, both at the primary care level, but also secondary care level, and even at the teaching hospital, to ensure that we can come to a common ground. So, you you don't think that you think that you can talk things over as over with some of these people, so we won't have a case of perhaps another strike. We had one earlier this year. We envision, we hope that our, con our engagement will continue to work in a positive manner, so that we don't have strikes. We certainly do not want strike of any sort. Uh, our doctors, and I am one as well, right? Um, but also those who are in government are focused on one thing solely. People who live in equity to ensure that we can provide care that is uninterrupted. And I believe that working together with them, which is, which is important, right? You, you need to be able to sit down and come to a sort of agreement. If you're asking for, I'm just, you know, just giving an example here. If you're asking for two bags of rice, and of maybe at the point in time, I only have a mood of rice, right? Then we must be able to say, okay, look, how do we manage this spending when we can get to another level? And they are, these are pretty reasonable people that we've been working with. So I, I, think, I, I think it's also important that I salute them um, and recognize the work that either the NMA, the Nagam DP, the ARD, um, MDCN, and even Joyce, right, have been doing to continue to support our people here in Ikiti. All right, we have um, less than two minutes to go. I, I would ask two quick questions. One, do you think that banning public officers from seeking uh, medical care abroad would 
quickly improve the healthcare system in Nigeria. You know, I listened to a governor two years ago who said, if you ask that he constantly polls in a state, right? And that if you ask everyone, if you look at the polls, health never comes up as based on what people want, right? As the top, top three. It's, um, it's roads, it is food, right? And a couple of other things. So health never comes up. And on that basis, I could, he, this, his point, the point he was making was, if my people are asking me that this is the top three they want, if I have a hundred, best believe that I'll prioritize the top three, right? And so the, there has to be that strong, continuous awareness and recognition for better health care and demand for it from people, right? Once there's the demand backed by the financing, right, then the supply comes, So right? So you do not think that pushing for a law like that would make any difference? I think that's measuring on the minor, right? Um, I think, I think, so the reason why I say this is you have to look beyond, you have to look at it from a more holistic point of view, right? It's not one or two persons. It has to be what works for the entire country, right? And if people are able to demand more from their government, then people are more likely to get more. All right. In just 30 seconds, we've seen 26 cases in, uh, uh, the past 11 days what recommendations are you making straight away to government uh if we see these cases probably double we hope it won't but if we see these cases double what recommendations are you making and how do you intend how soon do you intend to begin to enforce the uh adherence to COVID-19 protocols okay so the recommendations are not necessarily to government government is doing what it should do part of which is the letters that we've sent out to all these institutions um you don't go out and close places without giving them adequate notice and without letting people know so the point i would make to everyone who is listening on air is to ensure that we continue to stay safe we use our face mask not as chin mask not as eye mask but as face mask uh we maintain social distancing and just wash our hands i think it's important Avoid as much as possible going to crowded areas. The reality is that it's almost like a W. We're getting into the second wave, right? And I, I believe that the work that we're doing, not just us in government, but us as citizens here in Ekiti, would continue to give us that edge over COVID. You've not given a possible timeline for commencement of enforcement. No, enforcement has started. Enforcement starts is by it, saying... It's in place, but it looks as if... It's nobody is really, I mean, there's no real punitive measure against anybody for not doing some of those things. So, are we likely to see a case where you would begin to set punitive measures for people not wearing masks in public places or maintaining social distance so we certainly or for will. crowded areas? Thanks, Samuel. We certainly will see a case where, you know, facilities, institutions are closed down for not maintaining that. But before doing that, it is important that we go back on there and continue to advocate for people to do the right things. Right, we're not closing places just for closing sake. There's economic activity going on, but people need to be mindful. Right, it is that it's important to stay safe. All right, thank you very much. Uh, I have been speaking with the Commissioner for Health and Human Services in the State, Dr. Banji Filani. Thank you very much for coming on the conversation this thank morning. Thank you so much. Well, we advise everyone out there, strictly out there, to COVID-19 protocols and let us stay safe together. The second wave is here. My name is Samuel Olubebi. Saying, stay safe.